Well, good morning. What a beautiful fall day we are enjoying together in, here in October. And today, in our scripture text, we come to the absolute jewel in the book of Isaiah. We've been walking through the book of Isaiah called the Gospel of Isaiah since June. And today, we come to the climax, the text is the jewel in the crown of Isaiah's theology and the focal point of his vision. Isaiah might be known most famously for Isaiah chapter 6, seeing the Lord and this overwhelming sense of the holiness and the, whole, and the greatness of God. Truly, that is, that is true. But what exactly did Isaiah see in his vision? Today, we get a taste of that. It's the jewel. We'll see the jewel and we'll meet the servant. We'll see that the servant suffers, the servant sacrifices, and the servant substitute. God has not given up on his people. He has not given up on you. God will rescue people through his servant. He will rescue them and give them forgiveness. Yes, they've experienced exile because of their sins, but he desires to have restoration of Israel and really all people, all nations. This gospel of Isaiah ends with this powerful fact that all the nations, all the nations, all the people, not just a select group, will come and worship him. The name of this message is entitled this, The Greatest Poem in the Old Testament. The Greatest Poem in the Old Testament. I didn't come up with that. A really smart guy in England came up with this, and he talks with a cool accent, so it's got to be right, right? I want to just draw your attention to the bulletin insert that's in, your, that's in your folder. And we've been enjoying the Bible Project. We've shown a couple of their videos. And in this section, we look at the servant fulfilling God's mission. The servant fulfilling God's mission. And I put that in there, ask that to be inserted, because you'll see that the servant is rejected and killed. And so this is very, very important for us to understand. Why do they call it a poem? Well, there's actually four poems or servant songs. If you want to write these down, some of you might enjoy looking these up. I'm going to tell you there's four servant songs. This is the most famous of them. They're chapter 42, chapter 49, and chapter 50. Verses in there, 42, 49, and 50. Why are they called songs or poems? Because of this. They tell us of a servant. We don't know about the servant. They tell us about the servant who will lead the nations. And in this particular poem, in this particular song that we're going to take a look at, we're going to find out that the servant is rejected. Not only rejected, but actually killed. Rejected to a point that you cannot even recognize him. One who astonishes the world. One who undeservedly receives punishment. We should have received that. And the crazy part about it is we then receive his victory. Wow. The greatest poem in the Old Testament. Now, maybe you've wondered, we talked a lot about this, but why do you call it the gospel of Isaiah? Some have even called it the fifth gospel. That seems like an overplay. Why, Why is that? Well, I've mentioned this before in sermons in the past that Isaiah is actually the most quoted 
Old Testament book in the New Testament, even more than the Psalms. I didn't know that before we started this series. You'd have gotten me on a Bible trivia. But it's this particular chapter, this focal point, this vision that Isaiah sees, one that later the Apostle Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 118, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul quotes Isaiah, and he says this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. But it's this book, this chapter, this particular chapter that really goes, that does make sense. On the back side of the bulletin, insert, you will see the use of Isaiah 53 in the New Testament. All the different verses in Isaiah 53 and how they're tagged into into the New Testament. It is amazing. Now, obviously, we don't have time. We don't have time to look at all of those, but there's one in particular that I want to point out. One in particular I want to point out that's powerful. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 32 through 33. Do you see it there about a third of the way down? You'll notice that the verses 7 and 8 are the ones that are quoted in here and it is just a fascinating, hilarious story. What do I mean by that? Well, Acts chapter 8 goes like this. Acts chapter 8, Jesus has died. The book of Acts tells us about the early church, okay? Jesus has died, been resurrected, goes to heaven. Pentecost has happened, and the church is being birthed. Acts chapter 8. And when you get to Acts chapter 8, you meet an Ethiopian eunuch administrator, high-ranking official. And Acts chapter 8 tells us that he is on his way back from Jerusalem, back from worship, back from church. And then he is in a chariot and he is reading Isaiah. And this is the funny part. As I get older, it's funnier all the time. The Spirit of God comes on Philip and he says, Run to the chariot. An old guy running like this. Run to the chariot and go up to him. And the Bible tells us that Philip is running. And he comes up to the Ethiopian and he says, What are you reading? Do you know what you're reading? Listen to what it says. It says it right here in Acts chapter 8. And on his way sitting in the chariot reading the book, of Isaiah the prophet said, Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it as you run. The man ran up to the chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand? Do you understand? How can I? Said the Ethiopian. Unless someone explains it to me, so he invited his invited Philip to come and sit with him. And maybe the, the Bible should have said, he finally said, finally. It's right there. And this is the passage he was reading. Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice who can speak of his descendants for his life 
was taken from the earth. And this is the response. After reading Isaiah 53 right here, this is what the Ethiopian said. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Who is this? This suffering servant. Who is this? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Starting in Isaiah chapter 53 and going through every, all, all the prophets. Just like our Lord did on the road to Emmaus, right? He opened up the law and prophets. Later on Easter Sunday, the law and the prophets in the Psalms. It, it doesn't pick it up. The, 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 the verb that's missed here is he told them. The verb actually is this. He preached to them, and it's the verb to be gospelizing. Gospelizing. It's true what you heard of Jesus. It's true. He died and he was resurrected. Boom, and he walked them through that. Now, obviously, we have the advantage of being able to look this side of the cross, right? And so, what we're going to take a look at is we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 52. And verse 53, I invite you to find that in your Bibles, page 634. And as you do that, as we look at this greatest poem in the Old Testament, be reminded of what we've been talking about since June. Four major themes in the book of Isaiah. The holiness of God, the judgment of God. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet, so he's going to speak for God. Judgment, and he's also going to give a prophetic word what's coming in the future. But in Isaiah 52 and 53, this greatest poem in the Old Testament, you're going to see the Redeemer. You're going to see the Redeemer who suffers. It's not just the suffering servant who suffered. It's Jesus who suffers. It's not just the suffering servant who sacrifices. It's Jesus who sacrifices. It's not, the, it's not the suffering servant who substitutes and gives his life as the high priest. Now we know that's our king. Wow. And so it answers, this question answers a pressing issue, a pressing problem, if you will. God promises to rescue us, but how is he going to do that? How can the Holy One Receive people like you and me. How can sinners ever inherit the beautiful promises Isaiah revealed to us? And so in this beautiful poem, this song, we see God's answer to that. He himself will get involved through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's our first point. Oh, this is a great verse, by the way. I forgot about this. God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what, that's what Philip was explaining to the Ethiopian. Let me show that to you. We're going to walk through the book of, um, of Isaiah. We're going to do it a little bit different. We're going to read all the passages of Scripture, but what we're going to do is we're going to break this down uh, by sections. This section has five different parts. 
each with three verses. The English Bibles help us a little bit. You can see the, the, um, the break there. But here's the first thing we're going to learn about the servant. The servant astonishes the world. Let's see how. Verse 13, did you find it there? See, my servant will act wisely. First witness of the servant is God himself. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And for what they have not heard, they will understand. Here's the first thing we need to understand. The servant astonishes the world. He astonishes the world by his power to cleanse sinners. What a paradox. Success through suffering. Jesus will succeed wonderfully, as verse 13 says. He will be highly exalted in his redemptive mission. He will be beaten so badly that he no longer even looks like a human. One commentator said this. He said his suffering left him more damaged than any other one has ever been and has indeed prompted the question whether what could remain after his beating could even be human. Wow. He astonishes the world. Verse 15 picks up an interesting word that you could quickly go over. It's the word sprinkle. Sprinkle is used for clergy, if you will, for Levite priests in, Levite, in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. It's, it's words that are used for clergy. This week I was called a man of the cloth, and I thought, oh, okay. Sprinkle is a word for clergy, meaning this. You would sprinkle someone with blood or oil or water to cleanse them so that the lepers could come back into community. It was a, a word that would say, you've been sprinkled, you've been washed, you are welcome to come back into the community. Once you were a leopard, you've been sprinkled, now in the community. Watch. Once you and I we're rebels. And God has sprinkled us by the blood of Christ, and he has rescued us. Wow. Isaiah lets us in on a little secret in this part of the poem. The little secret is this, that God himself will get personally involved. He will roll up his holy arm. Go back to Isaiah 52. Verse 10, it says he will roll up his holy arm. He will roll up his sleeve, if you will. And he will be involved. The first word in the poem is what? See, watch, behold what I will do. Wow. He astonishes the world. The second thing we see in the poem is this. The poem tells us that the servant is unrecognized. The servant is unrecognized. What does that mean? Let's read it in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. 
Who has believed our message and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? He grew up as a shoot before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. What does that mean? What does that mean? Few people accepted the witness of Jesus as early followers of Christ, as, as Messiah followers. He did not stand as elite, but identified with the broken. Think about the very ways that people responded to Jesus. Here's just three of them. First of all, how important, how important can he actually be? He's a Jew ruled by Romans. Nobody cares what's going on in dinky Israel, do they? In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, the response is this. Is he not Mary's son, supposedly of Joseph? Read the text in Luke 3.23. You pick up a nuance. Is he really Joseph's son? And it is laced and seasoned with sarcasm as if to suggest, is he not illegitimate? Uh, his friend Nathaniel, who would follow him, did he not say of Jesus, <laughs> he's from Nazareth? <laughs> like, can any good come out of Nazareth? He's unrecognized. He's unrecognized. Tim, you led us in the song right before we sang. Oh, sacred head now wounded with grief and shame weighed down, now scorefully surrounded with thorns thine only crown. How pale thou art with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn. How does that visage languish which once was bright as morn? Unrecognized. He's from a dinky part of the world that no one used to know about. Used to know about. So let's just address the elephant in the room. He changed Israel. People know about Israel. It made the news yesterday, didn't it? Yeah. And I think we should stop and pray. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor in California. I've known him for 40 years. He leads trips to Israel, and I know he's leading a trip to Israel right now. Great guy. Great guy. You'd love this guy. And he posted on his Facebook post, he said, Friday, I took a team through old Jerusalem, and it's a ghost town. Nobody's there. Pray for these folks that have seen so much violence. We're going to pray for that. Pray for leaders, wisdom to know what to do. And pray for believers, believers in Israel, believers in the Gaza Strip, that God would use their witness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, King Jesus, this is your neighborhood. This is where you grew up. You know the hills, you know the streets, you know the seas. You know the generations of generations of people that have grown up. You wept over your city. You broke for your city, so we pray for protection.
for the people that have, of this country that have seen so much violence over the years. We pray for protection for loss of life. We pray for wisdom. We pray that you would curb this war, end this war, the violence, and we pray for believers in the Gaza Strip. We pray for believers in Israel that you would use their gospel witness for Christian workers, pastors, youth pastors, Christian teachers, Christian professors, Christian business women and men. We ask that you would anoint them and give them words of comfort. You are the one that can rescue and redeem and change. It is what you do. Amen. Chuck Swindoll, a great Bible teacher, he says this, Isaiah beautifully describes God's servant. The Messiah in the gospel-tinged prophecy had no name, no person attached to it. The difference is we do. The people of Israel were astounded at Jesus' claim to be Messiah, partly because he showed up as a lamb and not a lion. It was his cousin that said, right, publicly, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus did not topple the political oppressor, Swindoll goes on to say. He gave no deferential treatment to Pharisees, but justified sinners who were separated to be set free. He wore a thorny crown, and his robe was flayed skin and royal red blood. No wonder the high priest said, take down the sign. He is not the king of the Jews. He's king of all of us. Wow. The greatest poem. He astonished the world. He was unrecognized. But verses 4 through 6 are the ones that are the sweet spot of this poem. It's the sweet spot. The servant suffers as we do. Number three is this. The servant took the place of sinners, bore the punishment we deserved, and he opened the way for our eternal peace and healing. It explains the suffering and that his healing would address our wounds. Have you been wounded? Have you been wounded in the past? Have you been wounded presently? These verses are for you. Let's read in Jesus' name, verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted by him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now the pronouns give it away. In fact, you can see, I circled them here. You can't see that, can you? So I built this, we built this slide, and, 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 and all the pronouns that are listed here, you see on the right-hand side, our, we, our, our pain, our suffering, we considered our transgressions, our iniquity, our peace, we are healed, we have gone astray, us have turned, our own way, iniquity of us all. And then look at the hymns. He took, he bore, he punished, he stricken, he afflicted, pierced, 
crushed, punishment on him, wounds Yahweh laid on him. This is the focal point of the entire poem. It's here. And if you take that and put it under a microscope, if you zero down and look at it really closely, you would find out that the impersonal and passive wording is used to emphasize, listen, it's used to emphasize the results that have been objectively achieved. All the words are used to point to us, to tell us what has been achieved. Healing, peace. What we deserved, he received. Don't you want to thank him? Don't you want to praise him? Don't you want to just kind of be in his presence and fall at his feet? Say, thank you, God. I don't deserve this. So bow your head, close your eyes, and tell him that right now. All we can do and all we can respond is like the gal who poured out that expensive perfume on your feet and lowered her hair and washed your, your feet with her hair and her tears. And she knew you were the one. You undeservedly did not receive. This, this wasn't what you were supposed to receive but you did it willingly for us. And all we can say is thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. Isaiah, the prophet, writes this greatest poem in the Old Testament. He tells us it astonishes the world. The world did not recognize him. He's unrecognizable. He, we deserve, we deserve what he had, and the fourth point of the poem is this. The servant accepts his undeserved death. He accepts it. He was entirely innocent. He was humble in his sufferings. He voluntarily received what was coming to him. He wasn't overwhelmed by this. Let's read it. In verse, verses 7 through 9. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet one, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, meaning he died between two criminals, and with the rich in his death a reference to Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy man who gave his tomb. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, no one, no one, uh, people didn't understand what was happening. People didn't understand. His close friend Peter wanted to take issues in his own hands, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Peter do? Takes out a sword and... St the disciples ran away. 
They were in the upper room, scared like you and I would have been. The women sat at the, sat at the foot of the cross. Nobody, nobody said, don't worry, like in three days, whoo! Nobody said that. <laughs> when Mary came, Easter Sunday morning, right? You see this played out? Mary came, <gasps> the tomb is empty. Peter and John didn't go, yeah, we're going to catch some coffee, and uh, we knew, we knew that was coming. They ran to the tomb. They ran in, right? And they saw the robes. And they saw, they believed. We discover how marvelously secure we are in Christ. Let this wash over you, friend. Through Jesus as mediator, we come to the Father and know partially but terrifying all that unfits us for his present and fits us for his wrath. We find ourselves in the presence of love beyond anything known on earth and the voice which says, I was delighted when my son died for you. And I'm still delighted. Jesus died in our place. How unique is that for the gospel? I hope it just kind of bristles you if someone says, or if you hear, or if you think, all roads lead to heaven, all religions are the same, this is unique to the gospel. He becomes like us. He dies for us. He loves us. He extends us his grace, and we are able to obey him because of his grace. The opposite of that is become like God first by obeying and doing good, and then he'll love you. Even being religiously good, and then God will bless you. We have the idea, I hope I did enough. We can never do enough. You can't, you haven't, you weren't ever able to, to do enough. He's enough. He provided a way. Jesus on the cross, and if it sounds too good to be true, great. You're hearing the grace of God. It is free, but it is incredibly costly. Final one. Final thing in this final part, I guess, of this great poem, the last ten, three verses, ten through twelve. This is where you come in. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering of sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And he is suffering. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered when the transgressors he bore the sin of many, and he made intercessors for the transgressors. The idea about the spoil, you're the spoil. I'm the spoil. We're the rescued ones. We're the forgiven ones. We receive the riches of Christ. You want to read about those riches? Go to Ephesians chapter 1 and go, wow. Wow. And it ends with this. Kind of a, what? It ends with the word transgressors. And that's a pretty soft word. It means those who are 
rebelling. Rebelling. Like me. Like you. Well, we should know better. God's grace pursues you. I don't think it's too much to say that Isaiah would say, this is what I saw. When I saw the holiness of God and I had the vision and I wrote the book, this is what I saw. I saw the foolishness of the cross as being the power and the wisdom of God. I saw it. And he wrote it. So how do we receive a message like this? A couple things. One, do some study. There's some action steps that I put in your bulletin insert from the book of Mark. Do a parallel study. And then, and then have some fun with a sanctified imagination. Think about Acts chapter 8. You don't have to go running if you don't want to. But think about how that all played out. I hope you giggle a little bit. And then hear these words. Hear these words from the book of Philippians, and then we'll pray. Philippians says this. In your relationships with one another, have this mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Boy, did he ever. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above all names, every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Man, I can't wait for that day.